I've always said that the main reason I started this podcast was because I love asking questions and gathering information that helps other people grow. My guest today, well, he feels exactly the same way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Resilient Journey podcast, sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by a really interesting guest. He has his own podcast, he has a YouTube channel, and he's the author of eight books. Alex Fullock joins me for the next 30 minutes to talk about all things resilience, how to take things you've learned from one experience and apply it to the next, and how we as business continuity professionals need to continue to evolve and grow. The time will fly by and we'll get right into it after this from Clear Risk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Alex, welcome to the podcast. The roles have reversed. I've been on your podcast a couple of times now. You're on mine. Welcome. So happy to have you here. Uh, Tell the listeners about yourself. Well, first of all, thanks, Mark, for inviting me. It's kind of interesting to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. Right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Professionally, uh, I've been in business continuity and resilience for 25 years now, uh, doing uh, project management and all the various you know, BIAs and exercising and testing as part of uh, continuity management. Um, lots of m- uh, multiple certifications. I'm not even going to list them here. I've written and published eight books. I'm working on my ninth right now. I'm almost finished the, w- the working draft of it. And uh, number 10 is already outlined. I presented at conferences around the globe from Romania to uh, Manila to China, all across Canada and the U.S. and many more. And as you know, I am the host and creator of Preparing for the Unexpected on the Voice America radio network and the, uh, and the recently, just over a year, a YouTube channel of the same name. So I would say probably most people know you through the podcast, um, but you're a lot more than just a pretty voice, right? I mean, you, you, like you mentioned, some of your uh, <laughs> other work that you get out there and, and get the chance to do. In your mind, as you envision it, what does the perfect client look like for you? Like what, what interests you the most to, to get out there and do right now? The perfect client, I, I guess the, the, the best thing to say is the one that pays the invoice uh, on time, right? But uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's so much more than that. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan, uh, first of all, of clients that just listen to everything I have to say and just do it. Um, the reason being is I don't feel like I'm getting anything accomplished. It makes it feel more of a, a compliance or audit or tick box exercise. Yeah. So the perfect client for me is one that isn't just listening to me and learning from me, but a client who's also teaching me things, new ways of doing things. You know, hey, Alex, that's an interesting uh, point you bring up, but our culture and the way we do things doesn't allow us to do it this way. So how about we try it this way? Because then I'm learning as well. And I think that's the perfect client. 
nothing to do with money, nothing to do with, um, you know, prestige or anything. It's an opportunity for me to learn something new, either about their organization, their industry, uh, their culture, their new way of uh, thinking and doing things. Because I may have done a task, you know, a thousand times. I've done hundreds of BIA workshops, but that doesn't mean every single one will have been held the exact same way. Right. You know, you have to adapt to the uh, the client themselves, and sometimes they'll teach you something new. So the perfect client for me is one where we're actually learning from each other. I like that. So it's more collaborative, and and yeah. I, I'll tell my clients the same thing. Don't be afraid to push back. I mean. Just because I say something doesn't mean it's an exact fit for your organization, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. You know, because when I leave that client, I want to feel as though uh, I've accomplished something for them, but I'm also wanting to walk away with it with new ideas, new thoughts, in case I encounter something uh, like their culture again at another client. It's like, oh, I know how to adapt here. You know, instead of, well, okay, what do you suggest? How do we change it? I can come with a new set of tools. And I, I think that's fantastic when that can happen. So regular listeners to the podcast know that uh, I send out my questions ahead of time, but I'm going off script with this one just based on the conversation and the way it's going. You sound like me. I never <laughs> stick to a script. <laughs> I know. You've said that to me. I'm going to send you a script, but eh, it's optional. Um my question is, one of the things that I find is I have multiple clients at any given time. Uh, so I never have just one client at, at once. What I find, and it's very interesting, is that clients A and B, or maybe A and C, are involved in the same thing at the same time. I might have an emphasis on training, or I might have an emphasis on cyber response, or an emphasis on exercising at any given time. And then, but you can leverage to the point you had just made information and experiences and knowledge that you've gained from that third client and go back to the first one and say, hey, I want to introduce something to you because we're evolving too as practitioners. So I'm going to ask you about that, whether it's against multiple clients or whether it's just as an employee of an organization, talk about that evolution of us as practitioners and why it's so important? Well, as an organization, we've been saying, and it's been happening a lot right now, you know, we need to create programs fit for purpose. Yeah. And they have to be able to adaptable, be adaptable to the organization itself. So we can't walk into every client uh, and do the same thing each time. That's just defeats the purpose of what we're saying. You know, we're saying one thing, but doing another. That makes no sense to me. So I think it's important for us to learn these new ways of uh, uh, thinking and performing tasks, you know, and that also comes from sharing our thoughts like we're doing now, you know, we're sharing our thoughts and experiences. That's what we should all be doing so that when we go to a client, we're better prepared to meet their needs and address what they want rather than I'm showing up with XYZ certification and thou shall do yeah. this, this way. If you do that, you're starting yourself off on the wrong foot because it's, you know, you mentioned the word collaborative and we're not being collaborative if we're doing that. So we have to be able to be adaptable and flexible ourselves from client to client to learn 
different aspects and different ways of doing things so that we can move from client to client and say, hey, I've, I've experienced uh, the challenge that uh, you're experiencing. Um, and here's a new suggestion. How does this work? And then just they may say, yeah, that works fine. Or no, that may not work. However, if we take this piece that you said and this piece that uh, you know we have, I think we've got a solution that's going to work really well for us. And everybody's on board and everybody moves forward in that direction. So I think it's important for us as uh, professionals, practitioners, whatever term you want to use, mm-hmm. to learn and constantly um, take some of these tools and things that we learn from cl- uh, different places and go and bring them with us. Plus, it's good for us. It enables us to talk about these experiences at conferences or write an article or have a podcast, you know, and, and right. bring somebody on and talk about these things. I think that will help us. Um, you know, if you talk to an electrician, well, there's only one way you're going to wire a house. You talk to a plumber, well, there's only one way you can, you know, do those kind of things. But business continuity, every business, every organization, every community is different. So we have to be able to have a broader uh, knowledge base right. and ways to do things. You know, there. I don't like the saying, but there's the saying, you know, there's more than one way to skin the cat. Right. Well, we have to do that. We have to live and breathe that. No, you're, you're exactly right. And for employees out there, we talk in terms of consulting a lot, but for employees out there who are thinking about making a move to the next, uh, to that next company, just because something worked for you at your current company doesn't mean necessarily it's going to land and resonate well in that new culture, that new organization. So I would, I would encourage people to be flexible. You cannot go into this with a rigid set of, uh, this is not the Mandalorian where you can sit there and say, this is the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, it, it's going to be different everywhere you go. And back to the perfect client, that's the kind of thing I like. You know, I like the challenge, you know, yeah. or as James Green would say, you know, the risk, you know, that comes with it of learning all of that. Yeah. That's what I enjoy. No, for sure. We talked about your podcast. I'd really be interested to know what kind of feedback you get on different topics when you have different guests on. Um, and, and it's good for those of us, right? Or in a common, we both have podcasts, obviously, and uh, it's good for us to share notes too. So what topics do you find are the most popular and what are you seeing people most interested in? Well, it's interesting because sometimes I'll have a guest on and not many people pay attention. And then a year goes by and I look at uh, that episode and find that all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of people that Mm. have paid attention to it. So does that mean that that topic has now become popular? Uh, I don't know. You know, um, sometimes, um, you know, we've, we both had some of the same guests. You mentioned Molly and I mentioned James, Regina Phelps, you know, so many others. And, um, they have different topics and things that they want to talk about, but, and they have huge networks. So a lot of people listen in to you know hear what you know, Mark Hoffman has to say. But does that mean that what Mark is saying is popular with them? I don't know. It's hard to, to tell um, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been looking at, uh, in preparation actually for this, I, I, the other day I was actually looking through uh, some of previous episodes on Voice America and YouTube, to find out what kind of things uh, people were looking at. And um, there was a few that I've noticed um, topics that have had an uptick 
mm. uh, recently. So I don't know if that's popular or people doing investigation or research. Um, however, uh, I am finding that risk management and anything related to risk management is on the increase, which is interesting because a couple of years ago, Cheyenne Marling happened to have a report saying that um, there was a bigger uptick with risk management taking, I won't say taking over, but um, being the uh, owner of business continuity. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. And that's, that's to do with identification, mitigation, you know, all those kind of uh, aspects. Right. Supply chain management is uh, very much on the increase right now. Yep. Um, <clears throat> all, all so many different aspects of it. Uh, and um, I even talked with uh, Zara Zang from uh, Maersk, who uh, actually right. talked about the Suez Canal. The Saw that. Yep. That. Yep. So um, that that's a I would say that is a really big hot topic right now. Uh, crisis management, communications, and crisis leadership is on the increase. Um, I think that might have something to do with the fact that it, for many organizations. Um, and their leadership, uh, community leadership, uh, government leadership, a lot of people saw um, a lack of good communication, shall we say, and mm -hmm. strong leadership. And now that, knock on wood, things are settling down from COVID, people are now looking into that topic of, okay, well, we have to get better at this because we sucked at it before. Yeah. So I think that that one's uh, definitely getting an increase. And anything to do with resilience, either personal resilience, operational resilience, or organizational resilience. And they are different, but, you know, as I'm sure you have seen, some people get them all messed up and, you know, you know what is resilience? Some people say it's bouncing back. Some people say it's bouncing forward. You know, so <laughs> there's, there's, you know, there are so many different viewpoints on it, and that's become a real big hot topic uh, right now. Um, but I've also, it's interesting you mentioned hot topics because I've also seen a reduction in some other topics that used to be everywhere. And that is the BIA. Yeah. I've noticed there's not a lot of talk about BIAs anymore. Um, maybe because there are so many different ways of doing it now um, and different people looking at it. But right. overall, the talk of the BIA has come down. The executive buy-in to talk about the need for, uh, you know, how do you get executives to buy in on business continuity? If there isn't an executive right now who doesn't buy into business continuity, resilience, or disaster planning, or yep. whatever, I want to know where they've been the last two plus years. You know, that's right. <laughs> you know, so I think that part has gone, you know, mm -hmm. and hopefully doesn't come back. <clears throat> and um, uh, I think those were the three key ones that I've noticed. Uh, slowly start to to uh, you know disappear and have kind of been you know uh, I won't say forgotten about but okay we got it we've talked that to death we, we were, we're managing it we're moving off from those yeah and you're right to say sometimes you don't know if it's the topic that's popular or the guest um, but and what, what I try to do is measure it by whether or not the guest is necessarily all that well known and for me, the most popular topics were anytime we talk about employment, advan uh, advancing your career, uh, ways to uh, improve your own leadership or other skills. Uh, those are hugely popular on my podcast mm -hmm. right now. Um, and 
it's interesting. Cybersecurity is kind of middle of the road, which I'm shocked at, right? I expected um, when we talked about cyber insurance, our very first episode with Caitlin Upchurch, uh, that was hugely popular. But then we've done some other things around cybersecurity that kind of just, eh, they were okay, but didn't really light it up like I thought they would. And so it's interesting. You never know, I guess, sometimes what uh, you know what people are interested in listening to. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you on that because I've had people on talking about cybersecurity as well. And uh, you think it would be much more <laughs> of a hot topic. And it just kind of, Oh, well, okay. I thought we would have a lot more people that wanted to listen or watch that. Yeah. But But let me say this, and this will be good for both of us um, to remember and to to even market. But when we we think about who our target listeners are, people in our industry, people who we want to help coach and teach and share information with, all of these topics matter to almost all of us. So if you're a business continuity or resilience practitioner, and all of the things that you just talked about, whether it's crisis management, supply chain management, risk management, crisis communications, understanding cyber, leadership, all of these different things, they're all tools in our tool belt that we need to improve on and get better and 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 get more fluent with. That's why we talk about these things, Alex. We don't talk about mm-hmm. them to try to drive listeners. We talk about these things to help try to make our colleagues better and more informed. But I think that's also part of the challenge for a lot of people in our industry is some of the governing bodies and you know whatever you want to call them, they push, you know, you need to know all about this topic, you know, and I'll say artificial intelligence or cybersecurity, but there isn't the mention that with cybersecurity, there is already an industry around that. There are already certifications around that. There are already professionals around that. Yeah. So sometimes there, there seems to be confusion, you know, am I have to be everybody to every, uh, sorry, do I have to be everything to everybody? And we can't do that. So sometimes the topics take off and sometimes they don't but simply because you know I don't have anything else on my plate I have no more room to put another topic that I have to learn right. on my plate but I think that's also leads to one of the questions um, that we uh, we're going to talk about is the changing role of business continuity management too is you know instead of being everything to everybody we have to be the the hub in the wheel rather than one of the spokes I agree with that, but I also think it's important to understand the subject matter of the people that you're going to bring to the table. So I don't expect myself to be the cyber expert, but I do expect myself to have enough awareness about what's going on on that side of the table to be able to ask the right questions. Yes. Right. And that's, that's why I started the podcast, by the way, is because one of my favorite things to do in my career is ask questions to people. And I thought, well, I should record them. We should do a podcast. <laughs> I was showing a previous customer of mine the new Clear Risk Business Continuity tool that we've been working on. And when she saw it, she said, wow, I love it. It's so 21st century. What else in our industry is so 21st century? And what trends are you seeing? And what changes do you think we can expect that in our industry moving forward? 
Well, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what, you know, so 21st century would actually mean. Um, I, I think it means, oh, we're not doing it like we did it in the 1980s anymore, or we're not, maybe we're uh, not using spreadsheets or uh, you talked about BIAs being different. Yeah. Ah, good. So <laughs> different ways of doing things, different thinking and not so uh, cumbersome <laughs> where we trip over all these plans and spreadsheets and things. Right. Um, the the other point is uh, I'm not a big fan of the word trend. Uh, I never have been because a trend uh, by definition is temporary. Yeah. And I, I get nervous when I see some vendors saying, oh, there's a trend among organizations doing X, Y, Z. Really all they're saying is that we have a bunch of, we have our customer base now doing it this way. So it's a trend. No, that's not quite correct. So uh, I'm not a big fan of um, trends per se. Uh, I prefer, you know, some good practices that are now coming out and, and uh, are being understood and adopted by uh, organizations or people or communities. But there are a few that are starting to um, gain traction, shall we say. Um, there's uh, more uh, around artificial intelligence to help with uh, decision-making, mm -hmm. uh, especially with some of the uh, vendor tools and uh, applications that are out there that help us because uh, it, with social media, media, we know that communications have to be quick. Decisions have to be quick. So some of these applications now using uh, artificial intelligence can monitor all these uh, various social media sites saying this is what people are saying you know it makes it easier to gather this information so uh, i think the use of artificial intelligence is going to help uh with that um we mentioned the uh the business continuity professional uh the role mm -hmm. how it's changing you know um, instead of trying to be everything to everybody understanding the different pieces that are out there that bring us together. You know, we're not just a business continuity plan and the only other people we deal with would be, you know, in the old days, uh, the disaster recovery team. Yeah. You know, and that would be it. Well, now it's obviously much more, you know, it's the cyber team, you know, or any security team, you know, you're dealing with facilities, you're dealing with health and safety, you're dealing with HR, you know, finance teams, you know, so many other different groups. So that's evolving. And I think that's still going to involve uh, sorry, evolve because of the um, uh, resilience discussions, operational resilience, you know, versus organizational resilience. So, I think that's going to continue to expand, um, which is great um, because, like you, mm -hmm. you know, I ask a lot of questions too, and I like to learn a lot of new things. So, I think that's going to change. Um, I'm seeing uh, more. Um, uh, what's it, it, I wouldn't call this a trend at all, but schools are now offering mm -hmm. business continuity and resilience courses. And they never used to. There was nothing when I started right. you know, a few years before Y2K, absolutely nothing. Um, but now people are actually getting into the industry through academic channels rather than as you know, I know I did <laughs> fall into it by accident, right. you know, and uh, that's changing, and I think that's fantastic. I, I'm really happy to to, to see that um, because let's face it, a lot of us have been in the industry a long time, and within the next 10 to 20 years, there's a heck of a lot of us that aren't going to be here anymore. No, you're right, and and uh, I'll speak for you here too, and and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but part of why we do what we do with the podcast is legacy and thinking about passing on knowledge to, to prepare that next generation. So it's really, really important. Yeah. One of the other things that we have in common is conference attendance, whether it's speaking or, or going to conferences. And you and I have joked with each other about how we're not a big fan of that whole mingling part of uh, going to <laughs> <Yes>. a conference. <laughs> Uh, so if uh, if anyone is ever at a conference where Alex and I are there, you'll find us probably off standing in the corner, um, uh, you know, gingerly working our way into the room. We're not going to be uh, the, the tornado that goes through and, and works the room. It, but it's interesting about our personalities because we are both sort of introverted that way, mm-hmm. but yet we speak to people for a living all the time. And yeah. uh, those those are two very different things. But we know that conference attendance is down this year. Uh, we're starting to, you know, as we work our way out of the pandemic, we're starting to have more and more uh, in-person events, but the attendance is just way down. Whether it's some people not ready to travel, others don't have the budget. If you had to make a bold prediction, and you do, because I'm making you make a bold <laughs> prediction, what do you think the future is for conferences? Do you think they'll rebound and continue to stay in person, or do you think that maybe they should go hybrid forever now? Like, what what do you think about that? Well, I made the prediction with James Green uh, a few months back about this, and uh, it's coming true. And it's some sort of a hybrid situation mm-hmm. because there's already a conference um, later this year that will be doing exactly that, in person and virtual right. uh, aspects to it. So I think that's what's going to happen a lot more. And there's reasons for that. Sure, if you're, re, if you're having an in-person conference, you're attracting those that have the budget and that can travel. If you have the virtual, you've got those that don't have the budget and can't travel, uh, you know, and accommodations and all that kind of stuff. Right. But you're opening yourself up to a wider audience and a wider speaking audience. Uh, um, you know, speaking professionals or, you know, presenters, whatever yeah. you want to call them. Right, right. And I think that's a benefit to conferences. Uh, you know, there are some that are still going to be in person and maybe they are smaller going forward, but there might be able to be more of those. If they're smaller, the costs are down um, and they can focus on certain regions. You know, let, let's say a conference is in Canada. Well, if it's smaller, hey, we can actually have one in Toronto, one in Montreal, and one in Calgary, let's say, yeah. you know, rather than one big one, which costs us an arm and a leg, you know, and um, we can't do. So I think there's going to be both. And it's good for um, vendors as well, because it's costly for them right. to go to these conferences. You know, there's costs for everything. And they take a team of 10, I don't know, you know, uh, people, all the accommodation, all the travel with that, oh, yeah. uh, just for leads. You know, and that's all they get out of it at first is leads, not sales, right. leads. That's right. That's right. So um, I think if they can uh, do virtual workshops, and they, there have been conferences that have done that over the last two years, it's cost effective for them. It's easier for them to uh, uh, meet with people one on one and talk without being interrupted or noise around them. They can actually have more uh, closer interactions with somebody who's asking questions about their product or service. Um, And they can do the same thing. Like these conferences have smaller booths and travel with fewer people to to cut back on their costs. 
So, and if they're able to do things online too, then, you know, they're going to turn around and say, well, why am I spending, you know, $50,000 or more to go to this one conference when I can spend 10,000 and, you know, go to a smaller conference and do the exact same thing. Yeah. And for people listening who might've jumped back at the $50,000 number, that's modest. In some cases, there are some very large organizations that are spending you know, multiple times that to get yeah. a team to the conference and then sponsorship and then some of the other things that, that are involved in that. So that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Alex, let me get you out of here on this. If there's one or two people left in the industry who haven't connected with you yet, <laughs> uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, there's a couple of ways. Uh, like I always say at the show, uh, the easiest way to find me is through LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. So I'm really easy to find. (laughs) Uh, Alternatively, if you don't want to do that or you're not on LinkedIn, you can find me at alex at stone dash or the hyphen sign road.com. All right. Well, we'll we'll put the links to that in the show notes. Um, You're an interesting dude. It was really great having you on here and uh, we'll have to do it again. And so thanks for being a guest on The Resilient Journey. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I want to thank Alex Fullock for being a guest on The Resilient Journey. It was a really interesting conversation. I particularly liked how he described his perfect client as one who will push back and challenge him on various things. It's so important to be able to learn from one another. A huge thanks, as always, to Clear Risk for their sponsorship. The Oh That's So 21st Century BCP tool that we're working on with Clear Risk is coming along nicely. Keep listening to learn more. Next week, we'll have another interesting guest. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.